The, the Bible, as I said, has got a lot to teach us about, one, what's going on, and two, what growth looks like for us, and how growth is actually a means of overcoming and dealing with a whole lot of what's going on. So are you there? 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 1. It's kind of got the greeting in it, in it as well. So Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those, he's writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. This is key. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to draw your attention to kind of two phrases in that. The first is he says, supplement your faith, and then he goes on to list a whole bunch of things, okay? Supplement means add to. It means there's a thing that's not necessarily there to begin with. He's saying, add to your faith all of these things. That requires growth, Okay? Second part that I want to draw your attention to is that phrase towards the end there where he said, if you've got these things and they are increasing, you're going to thrive. You're going to, you're going to flourish in life. Increasing. That means continually growing. Growth is central to the Christian life. And this text kind of just assumes that growth is a normal part of being a Christ follower, of going about life. But in order to understand that and understand what's going on over here, we need to connect it with how the gospel fundamentally works. Now, as I say that, okay, when I say we're going to talk a little bit about how the gospel works, some of you went, mm, I need to go past the shops and buy feta cheese on the way home. <laughs> okay, because it's, it's kind of like it's the superpower that's hiding in plain sight. What happens over time is that we talk about the gospel and it becomes the thing that we just talk about, the thing that we take for granted, the thing that we know about. And I want to I talk about a few things here because it's kind of like, it's like the, the energy cell in um, uh, 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 Iron Man suit, right? You know? <laughs> Eyes light up. And, and if you try and do the, the, the crazy like fly thing and all of that without the energy cell in the Iron Man suit, we all know how that one ends, right? The gospel is like the energy cell. And if you try and grow, if you try and get through a, a bunch of things that you've got to get through in life without the energy cell, we know how that, that's going to end, right? You see, the gospel teaches, like we were saying earlier, that yes, things are not as they ought to be. Something has, in fact, gone horribly wrong. You see, if you read Genesis, it, it, it teaches that we were made uh, to flourish. We were made to be something. God established the world. He created a pattern. He put us in it, and He's like, there you go. Go and make this amazing, right? In, in, in many ways, we were like, the, the, the world is like the garden, and we're all kind of the proverbial gardeners. 
And I don't mean that in the sense that you've all got to start growing cabbages. It's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is that we're all given things, and, and, and the pattern that God established was one of um, establishing things and making them flourish and making them grow. And, and, and when he handed them to us, he was like, there you go. I've created this pattern. I'm giving you all of these things. I want you to do the same. I want you to take all the potential that's around you in this place, and I want you to grow it. I want you to, I want you to steward it. I want you to garden it and make it flourish. And I think we could all agree that something may have gone a little bit wrong along the way. God established the pattern, and he said, here you go. I want you to follow in it. And here's the thing. We human beings didn't follow in the pattern. You see, sin was not just disobeying God. It was not just breaking a rule. Okay? It was rejecting God's pattern, saying, God, you know, I know that you made the world, you made me, you, you established the pattern of how this thing is going to work best. I know you did all that, but thanks. I actually know better. I'm going to, I'm going to be the master of my destiny. I'm going to choose how this, this pattern is going to work. It was the rejection of God's pattern and the assertion that you and I knew better. That's what sin fundamentally is. Genesis recounts the story of how we were wooed by the idea of being like God. The snake came to Eve and said, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. That was the point. It wasn't the eating of the fruit that was wrong. It was the being like God that was wrong. God said, I made you a certain way. He said, no, 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 thank you, God. We don't want to be like that. We want to be like God. And uh, you might say, well, you know, Adam and Eve really messed up there, um, but that was them. <laughs> but the reality is Adam and Eve might have started it. The reality is you and I inherited it, and we've been living in it ever since. And that's a lot of what we see going on around us. That's the, that's the things are not as they ought to be in the world. C.S. Lewis says, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The world is not as it ought to be. But thankfully, the gospel doesn't stop there. And this is where Jesus enters the story. You see, the the, the price of sin, the price of rejecting God's pattern and choosing our own pattern is, in fact, death. It comes with an invoice, okay, with one line item on it. <laughs> sin, price, death. It's like taking delivery for something before you've paid for it. Okay, so imagine you get home after uh, this morning, you're rolling uh, down your road, and you're about to turn into your driveway, and in your driveway, there's a brand new Porsche parked outside. There's a little table set up, little gold table set up next to it with this little key ring hanging on it and this key hanging off of it. And uh, there's a sign that says um, something along the lines of, you know, by putting the, the key into the Porsche, uh, this Porsche will be yours. So you're like, yes, please. I will have that. Thank you very much. You grab the key. You don't notice the little asterisk <laughs> at the end of the sentence. You go running over to the Porsche. You put the key in, turn on the ignition, and boom. Right? It starts up. A little message flashes across the dashboard saying, you are now the proud owner of this Porsche. Asterisk. You're now fully responsible for the bill. And you're like, wait a second, but I... You're like, no, 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 you didn't read the fine print. 
you're now fully responsible for the bill. The bill is on the way. The bill is owed. The payment terms are set. You see, that's what sin is a little bit like, where Jesus now comes to earth and he says, you know what? That bill, that invoice that you've got with the one line item that says you've chosen another way other than mine, price, death, I'm going to take that. And instead of you paying it, I'm going to pay it for you. I'm going to balance the books. The books will be balanced. You don't have to die. I will. And by the way, Jesus says this is not because you deserve this. You didn't do anything that warranted me doing this. I'm going to do it because I love you and I want to show you that I love you. Wow. So Jesus comes. He dies on the earth 2,000 odd years ago. And when he does, it's like taking that invoice and, and this giant kind of big red paid stamp <laughs> smacked across the front of it and it's handed back to you. The books are balanced, and you and I handed this kind of paid receipt. And here's the thing, the books are balanced, but Jesus invites us back into the pattern that he originally established, and I don't want you to miss this. It's not just about the invoice being paid. That's huge. Get that this morning. It's massive. It's also about the invitation back into the way that Jesus established originally. And, and this is the thing, right? The bill is paid in full. It, it is settled. It can never be unsettled, which is amazing. But the journey of going back to the way that Jesus originally intended for us, well, that's what the rest of life is all about. And it's a journey because our hearts have got to figure out like, how we do that. And, and this is where my metaphor around the Porsche kind of falls over a little bit because, you see, it was more like we thought that we were buying a Porsche, and when we bought the Porsche, it turned out to be a pile of, I don't know, thorny sticks, right? That's what sin is like. It, it promises to be a Porsche, but, but when you actually get, take delivery of it, it's not a Porsche. <laughs> it's a thing that hurts you. It's a thing that kills you, and what Jesus wants to do, he doesn't just want to pay the price for the Porsche and, and, and the thing that you bought. He actually wants you to to restore you to the goodness that he originally intended for you in your life. And so that's what growth is. It's finding the way through life in the way that Jesus originally intended. It's finding the way back to flourishing. It's finding the way back to the pattern that God originally established before sin entered the world. And so I hope you see that growth is central to our lives as Christ followers. If you call yourself a Christ follower today, if you're trying to follow in the way of Jesus and figure out what he has for you, growth is a normal part of everyday life because the invoice has been settled, but your heart's got some things to learn about what the way of life actually looks like. Following Christ means embracing growth. It means becoming who God intended you to be originally. And it, it, it means finding joy in the journey as well. And, and, and that's you know, there's such a joy in this thing of, of growing because it's not just becoming like uh, God originally intended, but it's also letting go of some of the things that maybe in your past may have hurt you. You know, I think back to some of the things that I've done in life, and I'm like, sure, that was a dumb thing. That really kind of wrecked that relationship, or that hurt that person, or it hurt me. And part of growth is looking back on those things and going, yeah, that, that is true, 
the hurt is, is still real there, but look what God's done. He's taken me from that to this. And it changes the lens with which you, you look back on some of those things that have happened in life, okay? They don't have to haunt you anymore. Because you look back on them and go, yeah, that was, that was sin at work in my life. But God, but God has changed me. Look where I am now. Look at the good that has come to me since then. Wow, you know, I can be grateful of, about what's happening in my life. It changes it from a kind of pessimistic outlook to an optimistic light, uh, uh, outlook. It gives us hope for everything in life because the future is one where we've grown and one where we've changed and one where we, we, we've been made new and perhaps restored to the original picture. So I've got a couple of obvious points that I want to make about growth, and you're going to be like, yes, Stu, duh, that's, that makes total sense, right? There are obvious points about growth. We're going to talk about that, and then I've got a story that we'll wrap up with at the end, and then uh, we'll land this puppy. So a few obvious points about growth. The first is that God is into real growth, not superficial change. Let's have a look at Luke 6. Um, it says, this is Jesus actually teaching um, a whole bunch of people, and he says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from the bram uh, a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Here's my question for you. Does a fig tree have to try really hard to produce figs? No. It's the natural outcome of being a fig tree. As long as you're planted and rooted in good soil, as long as the climate is conducive to fig trees, right? It's the natural outcome of, of being rooted in good soil, being in a good climate, and being a fig tree. And that's the point of the gospel. You see, it, it's, it's not that the gospel just balances the books for us. It's that it gives us a new nature. And I want to just harp on this for a second. Um, you, you might have grown up thinking that Christianity, being a, being a Christ follower, is, is kind of like it takes good people and it makes them a little bit better. Okay? It's like you're a really good cappuccino to start with, and being a Christ follower is like a great little bit of latte art on the top of it, okay? That's not what the gospel's about. The gospel doesn't take good people and make them better. It takes broken people and makes them new. It takes bramble bushes and makes them into fig trees. It changes their very nature. You don't see a fig tree trying really hard to produce figs. Let me, let me give you an example of what this looks like kind of practically. Maybe you work with someone who is just the biggest rash ever. And, <laughs> and maybe they've got a little bit of authority in the organization. Like maybe they're like the boss's PA, so you kind of have to listen to them. Right? Trying to produce good fruit in that situation, okay, trying <laughs> would be like trying to hold it together when they ask you to do something, but you really don't want to do it, okay? The, the fruit would be not to snap at them when they ask you for something that you haven't planned for, whatever it might be. Now, here's the thing. If you are trying to produce that fruit, 
if you know that you ought to, and you're just trying to do it, here's what's going to happen. One day, uh, you're going to have a really busy morning, back-to-back -back meetings, uh, full-time at work, going like crazy, and then you're going to get a call uh, from a supply, and maybe there's a massive emergency, a bit of a disaster going on, and now you need to run over and solve that problem. And you're on your way to go and do that, and your phone rings, and it's this person. Okay, and you ignore the call, and they phone you back. You ignore that call, and they phone again. <laughs> About five missed calls later, they're phoning for the sixth time, right? And you pick up the phone. How's it going to go down? Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth is going to speak. <laughs> but if you're rooted in Christ, if you are, are naturally, if, if, if your roots go down into good soil, if you've experienced the love of God, if you've experienced His grace in your life, if, if you've experienced growth out of sins of your own, realize that, you know, you've got some growing to do as well. When somebody phones you like that, the abundance of your heart is different. You see, tr trying to produce good fruit in a situation like that is kind of like trying to, it's, it's kind of like trying to make a thorn bush into a fig tree by balancing figs all over its branches, okay? You put, you put a fig on the branch and you point and say, look, God, I've produced a fig. And he's like, yeah, but in a day or two, it's going to start smelling funny. You can do it for a while, but you can't sustain it because you're not actually producing the figs. Jesus is not just interested in balancing figs on our branches. He actually wants to change our very nature so that we naturally produce figs. And, and this has huge implications. The, the, the biggest one is perhaps the things that God is going to go after in your life are probably going to be the deeper, more fundamental, more hard things to deal with. Because those are the things that result in fruit. As, as we said, he's not so interested in balancing fig trees on the branches. He actually wants you to produce figs. He's got to change your nature. It also changes how we view others and how we see others around us. You see, when you see a fig or maybe you see a prickly pear one day, you don't look at it as just that thing. You, you see the, the essence that produced that thing, okay? And it changes how community works because you, you're not so focused on the fruit, you're focused on the thing that produces the fruit and changes how you relate to people as well. So that's the first point. God is interested in real growth, not just superficial change. The second point is growth happens differently in different seasons. Trees grow in summer, but they also grow in winter. The growth looks different, okay? But they're still growing. And um, I, I, I've got to be careful here of oversimplifying things a little bit, but it's helpful to think of growth in kind of three phases. And this is loose. It's, you know, this is not this is not uh, exactly scientific, but it's helpful, I think. Um, three phases. The first is kind of new growth. That's characterized by rapid, obvious growth. You know, a new shoot coming out of the ground. is like there was brown, and now there's green. <laughs> rapid, obvious change. The second phase is more about strengthening. It's a little bit more internal. It's, it's less obvious, and it's more about stamina and going the distance. And the third phase is about maturity. Th this one is almost entirely invisible, 
to the outside world, but it's the strengthening of a tree. It's layers and layers of bark around it that make that core really, really strong. This, this phase is characterized by wisdom, the establishing of perspective, and, and perhaps humility as well. Here's the thing. God knows that in whatever phase of growth you're in, you need a slightly different thing. Let me give you an example. Some of you may remember the time when you first became a Christ follower. It was so exciting. You felt such a sense of nearness with God. You felt like you prayed or you read the Word of God, and He was right there with you, and you just, you had such a feeling of His presence the whole time. It was so good. And over time, it waned a little bit. And you've been wondering what's happening. Well, here's the thing that happened. You grew. God didn't change. You grew. You see, when you were being established, that new growth, the thing that you needed was feelings of God's presence. You know what God's trying to produce in you now is strength and endurance. You're not a tiny little bean sprout anymore. <laughs> you're, a, you're a bush or a tree. <laughs> And God's trying to establish you. And the thing that you need in that season looks a little bit different. You see, he's trying to move your relationship from being based upon feelings of his presence to more constant, I guess, consistency. Instead of it kind of being up and down and quite emotional, he's like, no, 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 this is based on covenant love. I want to teach you something about my covenant with you and how things don't change no matter how you feel, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you're at but it feels different because it's a different season of growth. Wisdom is asking, what is the season that I'm in? What's God trying to do in me and what have I got to learn? How do I connect those things? A couple of, couple of things, right? The, these three phases as they were, they're not like levels in Mario Brothers. It's not like you, you complete the first level, you beat the boss, and then you move on to level two. It's much more like a continuum. And oftentimes you'll get into another kind of season or another phase, and you'll look back and go, oh, that makes sense in hindsight. I see that was a transition over there. But when you're in the thick of it, it it's really difficult to tell that sometimes. Okay, so don't think about it like Mario Brothers. It doesn't, doesn't work like that. It's a process. Sometimes you try a thing and it doesn't work, and that's not God being mean to you. It's God teaching you wisdom. <laughs> you're like, oh, now you know that you know, that strategy doesn't work in that situation. Well, now you know that, and you can perhaps help somebody else with that one. Okay, cool. Last thing is that your season is unique. I think it was Mark Twain who said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. I kind of like that. You might look at something that's going on in your life and say, this is exactly like the thing that happened to that person over there, or exactly like the thing that happened before uh, to me over here. It's not. It's unique. You're a unique person. You're, you're, the combination of challenges that you're facing is unique. The, the context is different. Your history, your personality, it's all unique. And you need God, God's wisdom to figure out what's right in that situation, not just try and apply a formula from somewhere else. Different seasons of growth look different to us, but as I said, wisdom is asking, what season am, am I in? What do I need to learn right now? What does, that look, what does growth look like for me? Next one. You grow with others. So different seasons of growth look different for us. Third point, 
you grow with other people around you, right? God's put a community around you. Here we are as a broader community, but you also have friends, you also have family. And I don't want you to underestimate how important those people are to your growth and to your journey. There's something incredible about friendship because it is witnessing the changes and the growth that goes through somebody else's life. It's, it's, it's witnessing it, seeing it happen, pointing it out and saying, yes, I see that. I see you. I see what's happening. And I'm going on the journey with you. That is hugely powerful. It's kind of baked into the, the foundations of how the world works. And sometimes we take it for granted because it's kind of like water to the fish, you know? Fish are swimming through the water and they're like, what, what's this water you keep talking about? Where is this where is this water? That's what friendship and community is like. Oftentimes it feels natural, but I want you to think very carefully about it. Who has a voice into your life? Because they're going to shape you. They're going to affect you. I, I've personally seen it in marriage, right? You, you, <laughs> marriage, for those of you who are not yet married, is like having a mirror over here the whole time. Okay? It's great, it's fantastic, okay? But it's gonna force you to grow and work through some stuff really quickly. <laughs> that community is critical to the trajectory of your growth. Think very carefully about the role that you play in other people's lives and, and the other people around you and what role they're playing in your life. It's formative. Last obvious thought about growth, and perhaps it's the most important one of all, is that you grow with your father. You have a father. His name is Jesus. Well, his name is God. Jesus is kind of like your big brother. I, I'm seeing this at the moment because my boy Jamie, he's two and a bit, and uh, he and I, we watch helicopters on YouTube together. That's our jam at the moment. It's how we roll. And uh, the other day, we were busy watching a thing. I don't know what the helicopter pilot did or whatever, but I was like, that's remarkable. And uh, Jamie caught on to this word, remarkable. So he was like, remarkable, remarkable, remarkable. And for him, it's not about what the word means so much as like, what it sounds like and feels like to say. For, for the rest of the day, he was saying, remarkable, 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 <laughs> trying it out in every single flavor. But he's learning and growing. I was so proud of him because I'm like, you're two and you know the word remarkable. <laughs> so proud of you. <laughs> it's like a tiny little thing of growth, but what I realized is that my joy in him learning the word remarkable is kind of how God sees my growth. God, my father, sees me growing. Wow. He sees me making progress or figuring a thing out. He takes joy in that. I think a lot about David's prayer in Psalms where he says, Search me, O God, know my heart, know my innermost ways. What is he saying? He's saying, God, I want you to know me. I want you to deal with the things that are really going on in my heart. I want to invite you in so that we can work through this stuff together. Wow. How does this work out practically? I think, well, obvious one is we've got word of God. This is literally the words of God. If you want to know what your father thinks about stuff, here's a great place to start. And what's, what's remarkable about this is that it's, this is unlike any other book, it's, it's not a manual. It's not a, it's, not like, it's not a guide. You know how you've got to learn for your, uh, your driver's license or, your, or for your learner's license. You've got to learn from the book all of the rules. This is not like that at all. 
This is the Word of God, and God is fundamentally relational. He's your Father. And so it's kind of like talking with your dad, much more than it is like learning from a manual. The second thing is obviously prayer, and we see that with David's prayer, where he says, search me, O God, know my ways, know my heart, reveal any way that in me that's not right, and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's effectively what he says. Wow. So grow with your Father. I want to end off just by circling back to 2 Peter 1, and then I'm going to tell you a story. So, so 2 Peter 1 that we read, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Wow. His divine power has been granted to us. That's the gospel. It's the balancing of the books, and it's an injection of power into our lives. Power to be new, power to be different, power to be changed. I, um, I want to tell you this story. So we bought a house four and a bit years ago. I can't remember exactly, but it's been a couple of years like that. And uh, when we bought our house, it was a little bit of a fix-upper. There were a couple of things in the garden that needed some serious work. The garden, for one, was a total mess. There were a bunch of fountains. I don't know what the previous owner had done. He had, like, visions of kind of Roman grandeur. So he put these fountains all over the place. It was very random. And uh, there was this gazebo that didn't really fit into our, onto our veranda. It's, it, it was a mess. Anyway, so I slowly kind of worked through all of these things, got rid of bits and pieces, um, tried to set it up a bit, a bit nicer. But there was a, a pool for one of the fountains that stayed in the garden. Um, and it was quite large. So it was probably about one and a half or two meters across, uh, solid concrete. And it was just, you know, 50 centimeters deep, planted on the floor. <laughs> and it just, this thing haunted me because I was like, it's going to be so much work to take that thing out. I really have to pay somebody else to do it. And then I just didn't have the time. And, you know, I dealt with all the other things. But a Saturday would roll by and I'd have a little bit of time and I'd be like, well, I need to do some other things. And I, it, it grew and grew and grew <laughs> in the role that it, it played. And then in summertime, it would rain, and it would fill with a little bit of water, and it would turn into a mosquito breeding den. And basically, if you speak to any mosquito, they will know about this place in Santon. They will tell you all about it, right? It's like they all hail from this place in Santon, in my garden, and it made you know, the summer months miserable. One month went by, two months, three months, six months, a year, two years, three years, four years rolled by, and I still hadn't sorted this thing out. Eventually, um, my dad was coming to visit, so I said to him, don't you want to just bring a sledgehammer from the farm, because I don't have one, and, you know, dads have got sledgehammers. It's things that they own, right? So he brought the sledgehammer along, and I was like, okay, flip. Here goes, what a waste of a Saturday, but I'm going to sort this thing out. So I took the sledgehammer, kind of got inside of this thing, and I whacked one of the edges, and uh, this giant chunk just broke right off. So my first thought was, well, sure, CrossFit's been working out. Uh, that's good. <laughs> and then I looked a little bit closer. It turned out the fountain was hollow. It wasn't solid concrete. It was hollow. It took me about five minutes to whack the thing into a couple of pieces, load it up into my dad's Ford Ranger, because dads have got Ford Rangers as well. In half an hour, I'd got rid of it, taken it to the dump, and I was back home. 
here's my question for you. What dumb fountains are you living with because you don't want to take a sledgehammer to it because in your mind you think that it's going to be so much work to deal with this thing? When Jesus has given us the gospel, which is like, it's like a nuclear sledgehammer <laughs> to deal with some stuff. A lot of the time, we just got to pick up the sledgehammer and go for it and carry on through life. God wants us to grow through those things so that we don't have to live with them and the mosquitoes that come with them. Thank you so much for joining us. You might be asking yourself the question, how can I take this further? Firstly, you can send us your contact details to cindy at centerchurch.co.za where we can include you in our online connect groups and you can receive our daily devotional. Secondly, you can hop on our website where you can access previous sermons and find out more about who we are at Centre Church. Thirdly, if you consider yourself as part of Centre Church, we want to thank you so much for your ongoing financial partnership. The banking details are on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have an amazing Sunday.